What have you got there, mate? Just a glass of wine. All right. How is it? It's all right, I guess. I mean, obviously, it's not really delicious, like a pint from Beer 52. Well, it's a good job that this episode of Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs is sponsored by Beer 52, the world's number one beer club. With Beer 52, you'll receive a case of beer every month featuring craft beers from all over the world, including Belgium, California, New Zealand and more. As well as getting eight free beers, you'll also receive the award-winning magazine Ferment, as well as a couple of different snacks. Perfect for a night in, or an innocent picnic in the park. For the last time, it was a picnic. You couldn't see the snacks. We had two different types of snacks. Best of all, you can pause or cancel your membership at any time, so you don't need to worry about the ombudsman coming to get you if you want to take a break from your membership. So seriously, what are you waiting for? If you want to get started with a free case of beer, head to beer52.com forward slash peep to access your first case for free. Eight beers, Beer 52. Eight. That's insane. All you need to do is pay the £5.95 for postage. And don't worry if you're not a fan of dark beers, there is a light option available. So that's beer52.com forward slash peep to get your first Beer 52 case for free. Poor me. Poor me. Pour me another glass from Beer 52. Cheers. Hello, this is Paul Clayton, a.k.a. Sophie's dad. And you're listening to Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs. Sod you all. Hello and welcome to Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs, a podcast all about discussing and reviewing the British sitcom Peep Show. My name's Tom Harrison and I'm joined, as always, by Rob Graham. Hello! And this week we are going to be discussing episode three of series six, which is called Jeremy in Love. I understand this title. <laughs> of course. Oh dear. How are you doing, Rob? Yeah, I'm all right. We're we're one week closer to being put back into lockdown again. No, it's bad, isn't it? It is very bad. Um, yeah, so that will obviously change. <laughs> We've only just started getting back together to record these damn things. So next week we are recording the next 15 <laughs> episodes of Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs in one go. <laughs> yeah, so um, we'll uh, we'll keep you up to date, you know, as things change. Um, our recording habit, we may have to start doing that separately again. Um, but it shouldn't affect sort of the output of the podcast. Um, but yeah, we may experience a few difficulties. Um, let's, we've got a new patron member, haven't we? We mentioned those out front, shout out those guys. We have Peter Frost has joined us on the $10 a month patronage, which is fantastic. Welcome to the podcast. And he's going to be getting his podcast a little bit earlier each week. He will, yeah. He's going to join John and Mike in getting those a little bit earlier. But a shout out to all our patrons as usual. We've got Darren Friedrichs, Robert Horvath, Dave Pink, Mike Kavanagh. Trisha Atenzia, Laurie Johnson, Daniel Thompson, Doug Simpson, Alex Watson, George Johansson Byberg, John Fraser, Michael Collins, Toby Irving, Thomas Burton, Jessica Isler, Tim Chamberlain, Ian Harrison, Jonathan Gardner, and then as I said, the aforementioned John Ralston, Joshua Herbertson, and Peter Frost. Now, did you notice, Tom, I read them in the opposite order this time? <laughs> I did not notice that. No. I went from oldest to newest. <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah, shouting out the OGs up front then. Very good. Yeah, so welcome, Peter, a new member of the of the Patreon. If anyone is interested, um, then I will leave a link, as always, in the description below, so you can check out that. Like uh, like Rob said, Peter is going to be getting his podcast a bit earlier now because of the, uh, the tier that he's joined on. Um, so, yes, feel free to check that out. 
Um, let's get the synopsis then for episode three of series six, Jeremy in Love. When Jeremy suddenly realises he's fallen hard and fast for Elena, he decides to try and be a better, less selfish person in order to, for her to feel the same way. Meanwhile, Mark's thrown a lead on the job front after the collapse of JLB, but can he pull it off on his audition for arguably the job of his dreams? What did you make of this one then, Rob? Yeah, I really like this episode. Really, really like it. I think I see a lot of myself in... Like, I I love history. I'm, I'm sitting here pushing up my glasses, looking like a square <laughs> as I'm saying it. But I love history, like, my degrees in history. And when I was at uni, I tried to get like work even if it was volunteer work as doing like tours and that sort of stuff i'd love oh my god i didn't know that i'd love to do all this sort of stuff never never got into it in the end uh. um we had to let him go he was rubbish <laughs> <laughs> but like i really i'd love i've watched mark doing this i'm like oh i'd bloody love to be one of those guys maybe not doing a ripper walk there's not much history i don't know whether the streets of peterborough have got enough history to keep me going <laughs> Got no. the cathedral and that's about it. But no. I, re- yeah. Aside from that, really, really like it. I think the Jeremy and Elena dynamic continues to move forward and has moved forward dramatically from the last episode. Oh, big time! Obviously, we wake up and or we wake up, we start yeah. off, and they're waking up in bed together. So it's obviously moved forward quite quickly. But we also see the awkwardness of how we sort of left the whole Mark and Dobby thing seems to have passed over. Well, we seem we seem to have quite a big time jump between episodes two and three because we, we can see literally see it in the form of Sophie. yeah bump. we talked about that last week didn't we that it's a big balloon yes <laughs> so uh, clearly like several months must have passed but i wonder whether it's been that many because mark's still not moved forward on the job front and he wouldn't have been able to stay unemployed for too long oh that's an interesting point although dobby has so yes, whether yeah. I mean I'm sure Mark's probably the type that's had some savings stored away to uh, to tide him over I guess but that that is a good point yeah um, <clears throat> yeah I thought this was a great episode I mean love seeing Jeremy kind of fall for someone he tends to fall very hard and fast as I touched on the synopsis I feel like you know that you can draw some parallels between him falling for Elena just as he did for Nancy um, and even perhaps slightly less so, but you could compare it to Zara as well, where he goes full in. And... Yeah, and even the infatuation that we see he has towards Big Sue's. Obviously, we don't see him fall for Big Sue's, but we know the extreme feelings he has towards her. It is just, obviously, as soon as he finds someone that he more than just wants to get into bed, like Mark's sister, <laughs> it just goes from being like casual to like obsessive. Well, yeah, this is Elena's third episode, and he's throwing the the love word around. I mean, and she was barely in the first episode. Let's be honest; I don't think she had any lines. She it was just that the the scene by the lift. But I don't think we put too much emphasis on the fact that he says he loves her. Like he told that Carla that he loved her after about <laughs> half true. an hour of knowing. Yeah, yeah good point. Um, Mark definitely has a good showing as well. Um, we get the, the the classic pop psychology sort of thing of of him being afraid to fail. What, uh, what is arguably sort of the best job opportunity he's ever going to get. Like, I can't think of many more perfect things for Mark to do with his life. But like I said, and I didn't get as far into it as Mark did, I can't see how being a a history walker, a history tour guide, is enough to pay the bills. Like, he'd have to have something along the side of it. I know the mm. guy who he speaks to later on says, oh, this is my full-time job. 
like yeah, museum lunch and a snooze. <laughs> yeah. But surely that you can't be being paid. You t- think how much do you earn a day from your job personally? Mm. You're not going to earn that much doing history walks, are you? Because you get paid by the amount of people that come on the tour. I suppose, yeah. And that tour he's doing, and I know it's only his trial tour, he's only got like six people at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of them had left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but even so, like, I've yeah, done those history point. walks and you pay like five, six quid to do them. Mm. You're getting 30, 40 quid a pop. You'd have to do a lot of tours a day to make that yeah, that's uh, a good living point. out of that. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I think I think the writing is particularly good in this one. Really, really strong stuff. And um, it's interesting to note this episode is written by Simon Blackwell. It's not written by Jesse and Sam. Ah, that's very interesting. Yeah, I think that's wow. Is this the first one that he's done? No, he wrote been... some of them in series five yeah, as well. He had random episodes. He didn't write full series, I don't think. Okay, but he wrote one-off episodes every so often. I might be wrong, but I know he definitely wrote this one. Well, that's that's really good that it, like clearly he's picked up. There are so many really great Jeremy and really great Mark lines. He clearly understands those characters super well. And the affair, which is the next episode, is written by Jesse and Sam. So it obviously wasn't right. Okay. Obviously wasn't like a whole series worth. Which I arguably, like you said, it makes it kind of harder to get into the you're, you're writing a, a one-off episode within a series and the test I've just googled it the test is written by Jesse and Sam as well hmm yeah so he's had to find a way to sort of slot into Sam and Jesse's yeah, yeah I wonder why they plot. sort of gave this one to him like we talked to Sam and he said we started sort of farming out some of the episodes mm. to Simon Blackwell and to other people but it's odd to just give one random one in the middle of a series do you think they gave him sort of the skeleton of a plot and be like, here you go, flesh it out? Or Yeah, yeah, I maybe. I would imagine so. When we get Simon on the podcast, we can, <laughs> yeah, we can have that chat with him. Cool. All right. Well, I'm conscious of time, so let's, uh, let's actually get started into the episode, shall we? So we start in bed, staring into Jeremy's eyes through Elena's, and uh, they've spent the night together, and what we learn is for the very first time, and uh, Jeremy's quite pleased with himself, he's sort of congratulating himself, isn't he? (laughs) Yeah, and I said before we started recording this, as we read the first line of the script, I just said, it's Robert Webb saying this, it's not Jeremy, (laughs) like his voice, you just hear Robert Webb saying it, when it's like, I love being me, morning horn, morning Jeremy. (laughs) (laughs) I love it, yeah. Personifying your own penis is yeah. <laughs> uh, something that only Jeremy would do in this show. And also insinuating that he doesn't understand the phrase morning horn. Yeah, that's a good point as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they wake up um, and it turns out that Elena has, has got to go to work. Um, but Jeremy is encouraging her to, to, to call in sick. Mm, ring in sick. Tell them Dr. Jeremy says you've got to stay in bed with plenty of fluids. Sexual fluids. <laughs> Hope she doesn't think I'm really a doctor. Yeah, we, we got it. <laughs> but is it implying that Elena doesn't get it? We've talked about, we talked about in the previous episode, like Elena being quite naive and not being the most intelligent and maybe not understanding jokes. And some of the things she comes out with in the next few episodes where she's like, sex couldn't be in the Olympics, Jeremy. China wouldn't allow it. <laughs> like, it's a really stupid thing to say. <laughs> So I wonder whether he's anticipating that he's going to have to explain the joke to her. Perhaps so, yeah. Well, she did, she finds it funny. You can see her giggling away. Um, Jeremy then confirms that this is the first time that they've slept together. Um, and he says that it's the best sex he's ever had, which kind of it made me think of all the weird stuff he's done with sort of the Nancys, the Michelles, um, 
the uh, the the defendant Carla, the the Geordie. But from what we can gather with Carla, he didn't enjoy that. Like no. he said, that was quite inhumane. <laughs> and to be fair, Michelle in the end ended up pegging him. <laughs> but he did before say that they'd had a lot of fun together. Uh, maybe that just tarnished. <laughs> but also, like he says. Oh, uh, I just did my usual stuff, the snog diddle, tongue diddle, front behind cuddle. Like, that does sound fairly, like, standard. Maybe, <laughs> like, I don't know, like, he's used to these really weird and wacky, like, like blacking up with Nancy oh, um, and the Michelle wearing a strap on and all of these sorts <laughs> of things. Maybe, like, it was, he's like, oh, I'm just going back to the basics, like, the... Like Hans says to Mark, like the dick in the vagina. <laughs> yeah, chicken tikka masala. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just going back to basics is maybe the best way for I, him. I guess it goes to show kids that sex with the one that you love is is the most magical time. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I love how he yeah he says that you know snog diddle tongue diddle like front behind cuddle the set menu yeah. which is just amazing and I feel like that's quite a um, that's quite a Mark thing to say. I took it as. Well, Missionary sex and then fish pie afterwards. Like Mark had his plan of what he was going to do with true. Sophie. Yeah, um, so I, I do love that description out a lot. Something, yeah, it seems to be like something very generally, but also something very Mark as well. As sort of quite a, a bit of a, you can see their personalities sort of imprinting on each other. But yeah. excellent writing from the start there. So Elena then gets up and is walking out of the bedroom, and she just shouts back to Jeremy, says, "Oh, do you mind ironing my top for me?" And Jess shouts back, saying, "Like, yeah, of course." And then in his head, it's like. Why have I said I can do that? I've never ironed. I don't know how to iron. I don't know where the batteries go. <laughs> um, and like, I think that is very much a, like is in keeping with his character. Like, he's the sort of bloke I can imagine. He clearly doesn't iron his shirts when he puts like when he wear he wears quite open casual shirts. Yeah, he's never he's had to wear a suit for like working at JLB briefly for a morning. Yeah, maybe Mark designing for him <laughs> in that sense. Maybe. Um, yeah, so he's he realises that the only way he could possibly have said yes to doing someone else's ironing is because he must be in love with them. Oh my God, I'm in love. I'm in love with Elena. Oh my giddy ass. And I found this really funny because, like, when Mark allows Big Sue's to do stuff on his computer, that's when Jez is like, you're in love with her. That's how oh, I yeah. know, that's my tell that you're in love because you're allowing somebody to do something on your computer and you're not minding about it. <laughs> and like Jez's tell is, I'm doing something for somebody else. <laughs> yeah. That's how I know I'm in love with somebody. <laughs> I can't remember that switch on moment where I decided I was in love with my wife. <laughs> like the first moment that I knew. No, I think I'm not really a believer in love at first sight. I believe it's something that sort of grows. And you also knew your partner for like... Oh, 10 yeah. years before you yeah, got together. Exactly. Like, it's slightly different, but, like, I don't remember there being a moment... I remember the first time I told her that I loved her, but mm. I can't remember the first moment I knew that I did. Mm. Yeah, so it's a strange one. That's not exactly the same story I've told to her, so hopefully <laughs> she's not listening to this. <laughs> Hi, Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, and one thing I want to point out as well, we get great use of the mirror here, because obviously Elena has, as you mentioned, has stepped out of the room... Um, and so quite organically there is of course a mirror in the yeah. bedroom and Jeremy gets to sort of step up to eye and then we can still see his face um, and Robert Webb does some some great face work here um, while the internal monologues, uh, there's no dialogue here um, and his sort of expression as he's sort of this self-realisation is sort of the cogs are wearing in his brain and he's sort of 
there's a sort of genuine sense of glee that then takes over his face when he's like, oh shit, like, I'm in love. Like, And to him, like, everything is perfect. Like, he doesn't know what's about to come with Elena that we find out in the next episode. Mm. This is, like, there's nothing wrong with this. She's gorgeous. Like, she does drugs. <laughs> she likes music. She lives really close to him. <laughs> she seems to enjoy his sexual prowess. <laughs> Yeah, if we can call it that. Like, everything for him is just coming up Jeremy. It's really nice. Mm. Um, well, I just wanted to ask, like, do you, do you think it is really love? Because we've seen Jeremy fall quite hard and fast. Well, he makes that comment about... Um, I can't think what her name is. The character from the Stag Do episode. Aurora? Yeah. He makes that comment about saying, I think I'm in love, or getting a boner which is basically the same thing when you get rid of all the feelings. True. So I don't know... I wouldn't ever say that Jeremy doesn't understand what love is. I don't think that's a fair line to go down. But I think he thinks that having very strong sexual feelings is possibly the same as being in love with somebody. Good point, yeah. But he is also realising that he's doing something that isn't self-centred. He's is ironing for somebody else. And he's not doing it in order to get favour from it afterwards. He is just doing it because he's happy. Yeah, he's already had his bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so he's not doing it on, on a promise. No, that's very that's very true. I did find it interesting, though, that they've only slept with each other once and he's, he's fallen for her, allegedly. Because um, I find as someone who claims to be a bit of a player, like I think it was only last episode, is that the line where he says, like, I have banged a lot of chicks, yeah. that's just public record. To then fall for someone after sleeping with them once, it's just interesting that he's caught feelings so quickly when apparently he's sleeping with a lot of different people. And then it's taken them this long to sleep with each other. They both seem to be quite... I know I used the phrase footloose and fancy free in last week's episode, <laughs> but it surprises me that they took, we reckon, possibly like a month. Mm. When it is casual to all intents and purposes, this isn't a relationship at this point. Certainly not in Elena's eyes. No, to her, it is just a bit on the side. Mm. It surprised me they've taken this long to hook up. Good point, yeah. Especially from Jeremy's standards. But talking of people who are very much not in love, (laughs) we skip forward to the next scene where Mark and Sophie are in a cafe. It seems very familiar to the cafe that Mark is then in with um, April at the end of series nine. I don't know whether it's just the bog standard cafe oh, they go into but as soon as I it. sat in there with him <laughs> as I was watching I was like this seems really familiar like it oh okay no, maybe I'm just but yeah we get this opening shot that is of Sophie's bump isn't it yeah. and it is enormous which gives us a clear indication that a fair amount of time has passed like I'm guessing a few months probably yeah and they're at the point where they're having to make decisions about the birth. Yes, it's getting serious. Yeah, now, yeah. Um, and Mark, in his monologue, as the as we're zooming up from seeing Sophie's bulge, he says, "Oh God, the battle of the bulge. There's a baby in there, about the size of a croissant, a terrifying, life-altering croissant baby." And actually, if we've got any experts listening to us, you might be able to tell us what stage the baby is, because they do all those sheets, don't they? Of like, your baby will be the size of a plum. Your yeah. baby will be the size of this. So. Maybe we should Google find out. <laughs> well, I looked at it and I thought, what kind of giant fucking croissants are you eating, Mark? That bump is enormous. Yeah, but the baby isn't the size of the entire bump, is it? No, I know, but I just thought you could get a lot of croissants <laughs> in there. <laughs> um, but yeah, and we get again Mark re- 
comparing things, making analogies to war and things, which he openly admitted was a way of making himself feel more comfortable. Yeah. So we're getting more of that. Um, the Battle of the Bulge. The greatest American battle of the war. Um, it was in the Ardennes yeah. in 1944. And Hitler's aim was to split the Allies in their drive forwards towards Germany. Oh, there you go. Every day's a school day. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, yeah, so uh, Sophie then asks him if he would like to know the sex of the baby before it's born. And Mark, quite surprisingly to me at least, sort of suggested, you know, well, let it be a surprise, which I found slightly odd. I thought he would want to be able to, you know, he'd want figures, data. Like, yeah, how, <laughs> Don't how give me motto, Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought he'd want to know up front so he can sort of mentally prepare. Um Although perhaps it's because in his head he sort of claims that he already knows because he says, Of course it'll be a boy and he'll be Second, just like me. It'll be like going through it all you again. The P.E. hell, the stolen packed lunch, having to do a little dance and sing I'm a gay lord to the tune of Like a Virgin. Although obviously the tune will be different in 11 years' time. But she decides with Mark that they're not going to find out and then literally in like the next episode or the episode after... Jeff tells him. So they've obviously gone and found out. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Jeff the shit. Yeah, the shit. Yeah, shady a bit from, from Sophie. Then. The boy bee. <laughs> um, and so while Mark's panicking him to himself, um, Sophie's sort of been leading up to dropping um, a bit of a bombshell on Mark, and that's that she wants to go private for the birth. Oh, shit. It'll cost about £6,000. But I'm unemployed. Mum and Dad can contribute about half of that, so we need to find the rest. Right, got you. £3,000. Jesus, more than the boiler and the sofa combined. I hope he's clever. I will definitely resent paying three grand for an idiot. And I just thought, why? Like, She's unemployed, time, he's unemployed. Yeah, how is this going to work? <laughs> yeah, I just... Yeah, and do they end up going private? Um, I, th- I think they do, don't they? I don't know, that hospital that we see, we don't really establish whether it's a private hospital or not, do we? No, I guess not. They're just people in scrubs, like, it's hard to tell what sort of hospital it is. Although Mark does get quite a lot of ability to change the way that it's being organised. Yes. Although, what's just occurred to my head, thinking of the next episode as well, is the one with Johnson. And Johnson asks him for two grand, and Mark seems to have it in, in his savings. So, Mark... Maybe he just doesn't want to go private with Sophie. He doesn't want to splooge £6,000 on something that could be done by the... Yeah, we we get a great line that is just like, um, I really resent spending um, three grand on an idiot. Like, he better be worth it. (laughs) And Mark's like, well, that's going to be me raising it then. Where is Sophie going to get any money from? Like, she's not going to be working, is she? Like, Mark's got to find £3,000. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, I like how she says we when she's sort of what looks like a good six, seven months pregnant, yeah. probably. <laughs> and Mark says in his head, doesn't he? He says, more than the boiler and the sofa combined. <laughs> and you've got to think, like, we've all had those moments in our life where everything has come financially at the same time. Everything gives mm. up at the same time. You get, oh, I need a new washing machine, a new boiler a new fridge and a new oven all within the space of like a month. Mark is now like, well, I've got to find six grand for that. Was it two grand for the boiler? Uh, a cool grand. Oh, for the a boiler. grand for the boiler. And then however much he spent on the creamy elephant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can imagine that he's, and he's unemployed. Yeah, no, it's a rough time for Mark. Um, 
So Sophie asks him how the job hunt is going, um, and although there was only there was only one episode between the collapse of JLB and now, we haven't seen Mark doing any job hunting yet. Um, but it turns out he's thinking of taking a, a career switch, um, which I thought was quite strange because I thought he would very much sort of stick to his lane, stay in his comfort zone, which is loan management, um, just office work, like not people-facing jobs. I think that's where Mark would struggle, and he clearly does struggle because the that's a good point. Bathroom salesman stuff he does later on. Oh is yeah, <laughs> the. Walk the history walk. He's not exactly yeah. um, needs to be an office droid, doesn't he? Yeah, just do something behind a computer. Yeah, definitely. So how's the job hunting going? Oh, uh, you know, good. Uh, thinking actually of changing career direction. Like what? Teach English as a foreign language, import pecorino, something different, more fulfilling. Yeah, of course. Obviously, it'd be really great if you were happy, but it's not the most pressing thing. And I just think, well, only because you want to suddenly go private. Like, like she's willing to sacrifice Mark's happiness. And we've talked about this endless times about Sophie. Like, I think as a character, she's a really good character from now on. But as a character and as a sort of a folly to Mark, she she has his balls in a vice for this series. Ent- yeah, entirely. And it's all her doing because she trapped him with the baby in the first place. Exactly. I, I find it just a little bit rich just that we know how this baby was conceived. Mark has no say in this, and now he's got to pay a small fortune so she can give birth on a marshmallow (laughs) trampoline. And surely if Sophie wants to go private, like her parents would have the money to be able to fund that. I'm not suggesting people should scrounge off their parents, but surely her parents would have six grand that they could give her. They hate Mark. Very true, yeah. And we we know that they're quite well off. Well, they've got that farmstead, like the homestead. They've got Nana's cottage at the Mm. end of the day. If they needed to... (laughs) remortgage that to pay for Sophie's private treatment. Six grand doesn't sound like a lot of money to that family. No, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, or, arguably to Mark's family, but Mark isn't going to go to his parents and, and ask for money Definitely for a baby not. that he didn't want and his family <laughs> will wholeheartedly disapprove of. No. Um, so Sophie recommends him a job at a loss adjusters, um, which leads to probably my favourite quote of the episode from Mark here. I've heard there are some jobs going at Farrell's, the loss adjusters. It might be worth a punt. OK, I'll fire off a CV. Loss adjustment. I could do that. My entire life has been one continual adjustment to loss. And I think, although that line is said in his monologue, his face just represents, like, Sophie knows what he's thinking. He <laughs> that line. Yeah. Like, we know what's coming out there. Incredible writing there from um, from Simon Blackwell there. I think, again, I think he's come in and just he's understood the characters so yeah. well for, you know, arguably he's written episodes in previous series, but probably not many as it was only last series. I think he came yeah. into it. So, um, yeah, he just gets it. Credit to, to Simon. So Mark has said, yeah, I'll go far off CV. And so he's back at the flat. Yeah, he's talking to himself in the mirror, isn't he? Again, we get another good use of the mirror twice in one episode. And I like they... It's a head-on... Like, he's looking square at himself in the mirror and we don't see the camera. So I'm not quite... I don't always understand how the the trickery... On his head? They do a lot of... You'd see that on his head. Yeah, exactly. They do quite a lot of, um, you know, angles seems to be everything. But this seems very much set on and and we don't see it. So I've said some stupid things on the podcast. (laughs) That's got me up. Yeah, it's clever. I appreciate that. Right, Corrigan. Need a job. 
you're a man with imminent responsibilities. So really quick look at Facebook and a tiny bit of YouTube and then I'll get a CV off to the loss adjusters. This is every student. <laughs> yes. And everyone who's been home working during lockdown, when uh, you've not had a meeting that you've got to be in, you'll be like, I'll just finish this episode <laughs> and then I'll just go make myself lunch. Oh, it's quarter to 12. There's no point in starting work now. <laughs> I might as well just wait until after lunch and then oh, after lunch is only three hours. <laughs> yeah, so this dis- is marked to a T. Yeah, just disappear down that black hole of, of YouTube and social media. <laughs> but before he gets the chance to do any of those things, he switches computer on and realises that it's gone. Oh, I thought it was quite interesting. Yeah, he's got a desktop PC which just stuck out to me. Like, you don't get many of those anymore, do you? 2009, probably. Like... No, I mean, in terms of now, it was just quite interesting to see him boot up a, a desktop. It was quite funny. I mean, I will point out to our listeners that we are recording at Tom's house and we're sitting next to a desktop computer. <laughs> well, no, it's not. My laptop docks into that thing. Oh. I mean, not that anyone <laughs> listening to this will care. But 21st century He's technology. booting up a proper PC, which I just thought was quite funny. Um... But there's no were. Shit, where's the were? Oh no, oh my god, why didn't I back up? I'm exactly the kind of person who backs up. Thank god I abandoned business secrets of the pharaohs. Which obviously comes back later on. So we don't really find the point at which he starts writing it again until it's basically written. Mm. Well, we know he he had drafts for it way back in series one because he shows Johnson them. And funnily enough, the computer breaks because Jez... Yeah, maybe these were all signs that it should never have happened. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's Um, gone through two buggered PCs in that time. But we don't really establish that he starts writing again until he's saying that he's firing it off to publishers. Yeah. So he's obviously (laughs) just continually working on it. Uh, So Jeremy's arriving back in the flat after Mark's realised that his computer's gone kaput. And Jeremy is in a very different mindset to the one that Mark's in. And Jeremy just comes in and hugs him. And Mark's like, what's going on? Are you are you high? Like, is this <laughs> ecstasy? Are you back into ecstasy? And Jeremy's like, no, no, no. Love is the best drug. Yeah. Like, I'm in love, Mark, with amazing Elena. I don't want to tempt fate, but I think everything's going to be totally great forever. <laughs> That's one of the most popular sort of gifts and memes that yeah. I see that, that comes from Peep Show. Though. One small thing happens, and all of a sudden, all of the world's problems <laughs> are solved. Yeah. Um, and this is the first time that Jeremy makes a reference, but this, like, he says it several times in this series. He basically says to Mark, "You don't understand. You mm. don't understand. You're not in. You've never been in love, Mark." And he says it to Mark in the previous episode when, oh no, it's later on in this episode. Yeah, he says he says you've never been in love, Mark. And Mark's like, "Yes, I have." Yeah, he's for you. Like, please don't like subjugate me like that. Like, don't don't mock me. You don't understand, Mark. I've realised that everything is just a substitute for being in love, reading, running in the Olympics, getting a job, being a doctor, and I don't need those substitutes anymore. Elena is my one true soulmate. It's remarkable, isn't it, that out of the three billion adult women in the world, your one true soulmate happens conveniently to live in the same block of flats as you, rather than, say, in a village in Mozambique. I don't believe in, like, one true person for you. No. I, I think we might have talked about this before. And I've certainly had conversations with other people. Like, I don't believe that there is one true soulmate. Because if it was that person in Mozambique, how the fuck are you meant to find them? <laughs> Just constant disappointment for everyone. Like, yeah. everyone misses out. <laughs> yeah, so I don't believe in that. So, But Jeremy obviously does. And he says, who knows the, how these things happen? There are powers at work beyond our understanding. Yeah. And Mark's like, 
there aren't. <laughs> <laughs> and I do like Jeremy. There is something quite sweet and puppy-like when Jeremy's in love. Well, he just he gets like drunk off it, doesn't he? And he then he just goes down this rabbit hole, gets so sucked into it and so self-involved that nothing that anyone else can do can compete with his feelings for whatever it is. And it's really sweet that he is that obsessed with Elena in a in a healthy way. Like you want the person in your early days of dating somebody, you want that level of like, oh my god, I love yeah, her. I... And you said to me, like, and you said this in your best man speech at my wedding, you were like, I knew you really liked her because you didn't shut the fuck up about <laughs> her. Yeah, and I, I do think, yeah, Jeremy's not it's not in a creepy way, is it? Like I think he, he does some quite extreme things that it maybe gets a bit others creepy wouldn't... later on. Um I think making a bust of somebody when you've been dating them for a few months. Yeah, is quite I would weird. say that that's probably the the weirdest it gets. But I, I wouldn't say that that's creepy. I would say that's just a bit odd. Whereas Mark is, he kept records of Dobby's coffee break times and and he pre pre planned a to bump into her at the same place when he knows that she's going to be there. He just goes things... out of his way on like three buses to get to her work. Yes, yeah, there's something a bit more stalkery about Mark, whereas Jez just does... Jez like... just does everything to make her happy. Yeah. So he takes the wank bullet, he goes to Hastings, <laughs> he gets the Ocado shop, he waits in for the shop for yeah, her. Yeah, he's doing the ironing, picking up the dry yeah. cleaning. He is very much like, if I am her lapdog, mm. then she will fall in love with me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then to, to top it all off, um, we get Jeremy trying to quote Shakespeare, which I thought was quite a big leap for him. And uh, he fails rather miserably, doesn't he, trying to paraphrase. What was it Shakespeare said? He said a lot of things, Jeremy. He basically said something about how there are more things there than there are actual things that you can see with your eyes. That's not the exact quote. Isn't it? Anyway, I'm going to tell Elena that I love her over dinner tonight. Why take the risk? She might not say it back. Why do you have to bring worry and doubt into everything? You're like some kind of mad evangelist for anxiety. Lots to go round, old son. I'm probably a couple of grams lighter now. And Mark is just like the ghost at the feast. Yeah, why take the risk? <laughs> yeah, pouring cold water all over it. That needs to be on Mark's... That's Mark's epitaph. Yeah, <laughs> it is, isn't it? Just like... Yeah, I've written down, like, that's his job, Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he's there to do. I like the fact that Mark is self-aware that that's how he oh, behaves. very much so. Um, and so we, we jump forward slightly um, to find Jeremy visiting Elaine at work um, and she's had a, a, a rather bad day and, and Jeremy's sort of listening to her for, for all of about half a second like while he's saying to himself like oh like normally when people go on about their day it's like really boring but I'm actually really interested and yeah. just skipping like not paying attention to anything. But he, he seems to have picked up on the name of Peter and the fact he's had a bad day. So he just takes almost like a shot in the dark, doesn't he? Of just, Peter sounds like a honking great wanker. And uh, as always with Jeremy, he gets quite lucky and she's just like, yeah, he is. <laughs> like, thanks for listening. And he's done that. He did the same thing with Big Sue's when they're in the Quantocks. Yes. He seems to get away with it a lot, doesn't he? When Just by not paying attention. Just, just... boyish charm. Yeah, exactly. Um... But Jeremy is showing signs he's really, really nervous around her still. Even though sort of like the barrier has been broken by the fact they've had sex. Yes. And so that connection has been made. He says in his head, like, why am I so nervous? I feel like I'm about to take an exam. 
but one that actually matters, not like a university <laughs> exam. Yeah, I, I do like seeing Jeremy in these early stages of his relationship because he's a bit, yeah, he's all over the place, isn't he? Um, so they're, they're going out on a date that evening, so we, we fast forward to that. Um, and of course, Jeremy had told Mark that he's planning on telling her that he loves her. Um, and he's trying to figure out how to do it. Um, he's like, do I do I text her? Like, or is that incredibly shit? <laughs> like, there is no good way to that isn't going to make you feel slightly awkward the first time you say it to somebody I to guarantee they're going to say it back. Because if you say that, it's like sh- shooting first in a duel. <laughs> if you <laughs> say it too early and they're not ready to say it back, which is basically what happens in this scene, it backfires obviously it doesn't backfire here because elena just thinks they're having an affair or just they're just having a bit of fun if you're in a relationship with somebody and you say i love you and they don't say it back yeah you're suddenly on very rocky ground aren't you you don't really know where and i said it first in our relationship and she said it straight back yeah i think yeah you you wait longer than you feel like you know you know you want to say it and then you wait a little bit longer to be like is this a safe bet? <laughs> I was drunk when I said it, so I think my inhibitions think, were down. Yeah, I think that certainly helps. Um, <laughs> but instead, he, he decides to sort of just bury it in the middle of the conversation, doesn't he? Just slip it in. Okay, I'm doing it now. Let's roll. Bread really is excellent, isn't it? Nice and dense. I love you very much. Mark actually got some bread recently that was made from spelt flour. The best spelt flour bread I've ever had was when I lived down in Hastings from Impsons. Okay, really interesting delicious. response. Did she hear? Maybe it went in anyway, like when you slip tablets into your dog's food. Jeremy, I love that you love me, but it's complicated. I'm a complicated person. She, and she is. She is a complicated character. Definitely. And you guys will be hearing this before we release our episode that we did with Vera Filatova, who plays Elena. The lovely Elena. And she talks about, like, Elena's got a very messed up life and actually she just needs somebody like Jeremy who loves her. And she likes people loving her. That's what she needs is her comfort blanket. Always. Yeah, love soaking up the attention, just having people almost running around, doing the ironing, picking yeah. up the dry cleaning, things like that. Yeah, she thrives on it. And Jeremy just wants to clarify and it's like, just to be clear, you don't love me back. Oh, I know. Why mention it again? I, was, I, I really cringe at that You've moment. not said it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just to be clear, we're, we're, this is definitely awkward, right? And then just to make it more awkward, he then asks, basically asks why. Is it like, yeah. is it because I'm too vain? Some people think I'm quite vain. Or is it because I'm lazy? Do I talk too much? Am I talking too much? Should I shut up? <laughs> and you're like, oh, mate, just, you're down a... He's spiralling like, yeah. quite quickly. And I find it, he's listing all of these flaws. All of them are true. <laughs> and it's not fishing for compliments, even though Elena ends up saying, like, you're none of those things... Maybe you're a bit selfish, but (laughs) you're one of the best people I know. Like, she doesn't mean that. There's no way that Jeremy is one of the best people that she knows. And if that is the best person she's ever known, then she's got very low expectations or very low experiences of what people have been like in the past. But it made me think of uh, when Hans gets married and it's like, you are the, you know, the wisest, the the truest of men. It's like, I'm pretty sure he's the opposite of all of those things. But I love the fact that Jeremy, because she said he's selfish, in his monologue, he says, I'm a huge selfish bastard. I knew I should have gone down on her for 10 minutes instead of the set menu five. A la carte. I should have gone a la carte. And I also like the when she tells him, like, oh, no, you're not selfish. Well, maybe a little. His face, it just, like, drops immediately. Is this the first time you've ever been told you're selfish, Joe? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like Mark's telling him on a daily basis. But 
it, she says, oh, you know, you're one of the best people I've ever known. Like, got it? And he's like, got it. And then in turn, he's like, oh, I'm a huge selfish bastard. <laughs> yeah, because he's not stupid. Like, he realises that what she's saying is really, like, disingenuous. Yeah, she's quite, yeah, she's wishy-washy, isn't she, old Elena? And also, you know that somebody is saying that to you to because they've just given you some heartbreaking news. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and she's just not very good at delivering it. No. Um, so we skip forward to presumably the next morning. And Mark's sitting in the kitchen, isn't he? Or in the, he's in the kitchen. And Jeremy walks in and he's got the same clothes on that he had the he previous has. day. Which Mark points out. And as he walks into the room, we get an amazing little, like, tiny bit of monologue from Mark. But it's just... I love how real it is when he's just like, pick your feet up, Jeremy. And it's just like, I feel like that just kind of encapsulates like what Peep Show is, is that the use of that internal monologue there is just so excellent. It's just like, these are the things we think about. And quite often Peep Show goes into those sort of quite extreme levels. Yeah. But this is just so, so very real of the person that you live with. And when you're in a bit of a mood with them because of... You know, Jeremy and Mark, they didn't fall out, but, you know, Jeremy was just kind of going on and Mark's a bit like, you're trying nonsense, like, shut up. And to just be like, oh, pick your feet up. It's just, it's so real. I love that. So Jeremy has gone from top of the world to, like, rock bottom. And he says, I didn't really go to sleep. I just sort of listened to music and did quite a lot of crying. Yeah. And you're like, is life that bad? Like, presumably she's not going to stop sleeping with you. <laughs> I suppose that's actually, no, that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. If he is in love with her, yeah, that... just being able to sleep with the person, knowing full well they don't love you and won't love you back. It's quite a big hit. Yeah, fair yeah. point. Mark in his monologue says, oh God, he's having an episode. Do I do I put my hand on his arm? Mm-hmm. Like, no, that sets a precedent. Yeah, he's so cold and distant. <laughs> and Jeremy says, right, that's it, I'm off to Hastings. It's like, grand gesture, that's what I'm going to have to do to show... Show her how much I love her and to make her love me back, I'll go and get the one thing that she's told me about that she really cares. Yeah. So, yeah, he reveals this plan and we, we get more great, you know, I touched on it with the, the pick your feet up comment. We get more great stuff from Mark. And he's oh, saying... this is incredible. This is my favourite scene <laughs> of the episode. It's a selfless act. I mean, Hastings is like a really long, long way away. It's in Kent or somewhere stupid. Sussex. And I'm trying to do less selfish things. Fewer. And more altruistic stuff to prove I'm worthy of Elena's love. This is like, I find that in conversations I have with my partner, who doesn't say them in a head, she does correct me. <laughs> I, my real one I do is I say different to. Oh, instead okay. of different from and she's always like it's different to uh, different from similar to and I'm like right, I get the idea I get the idea I've got it wrong again yeah I, I, just, I love how you know, you got the internal monologue just weaving like expertly really between the, the internal and the external yeah. which is just I think I don't think I've ever really seen a show that is like I've seen a couple of other shows that sort of implement the internal monologue but none that do it quite so fluidly it's, within the conversation yeah it is seamless and it's excellent like razor sharp writing here like I'm sort of gushing a bit about Simon Blackwell but I just think he's doing an, a really great job for someone who has come in mid-series pa- yeah partway through the show's run I just I think it's brilliant like we we've all sat there and listened to someone while they're just chatting I mean Jeremy's not chatting shit here he's de- detailing his sort of big gesture but we've all been sort of a bit just like maybe a bit fed up with someone they're chatting a bit of nonsense or whatever and you just correct like nitpicking like yeah. everything but sort of uh, pedantic yeah but just like uh, whether it's the sort of British reserve or just like the rules of society you don't vocalise it and also presumably if Mark picked up Jeremy on every grammatical 
fault he makes. He wouldn't ever stop. <laughs> yes, that's a good point, yeah. There's a lot of things he corrects him on. And Jeremy says, like, I need to be more altruistic and worthy of Elena's love, so I'm going to go and buy this bread. And Mark says to him, Jeremy, I'm a bit worried you're going mad. Like, all of these ridiculous things you're doing aren't the sign of a sane person. And Jeremy, like we talked on earlier, said, you've obviously never been in love, Mark. Mm-hmm. And Mark's like, yes, I have. Like, how dare you say I've never been in love? I would question whether we've seen Mark in love in the first six episodes, first six series. I don't think he was in love with Sophie. I don't think he was That's in it. love with her. I think he might have loved her, but I don't think he was in love with her. Mm. I feel like maybe more in, in love with the idea of it more than yeah. of, you know, being fitting in and being conventional. Like, he, he takes a lot of pride. Like, one of the happiest moments we see him with Sophie is when they're sat in that cafe. And, and it's she's, just normal. Yeah, and she's reading the book, he's reading the paper. They're not even talking to each other, and that's his favourite moment, which He loves says a companionship lot. of somebody mm. rather than necessarily... He's not in love in the same way that Jeremy's claiming to be uh, Yeah, love. I agree. So Jeremy skips out. Yeah, so Jeremy is presumably heading off to Hastings, um, and, and Mark has got Dobby in to try and fix his computer and we get a sort of bit of light-hearted banter don't we and and mark sort of under the impression that they're all kind of okay after what was sort of a bit of a debacle of where we left them the last episode but i guess we talked about how perhaps a few months has passed since then so and again i think this is a really good use of the monologue because mark says we're bantering <laughs> yeah. like you know that that's banter between the two of them but the fact that mark you can see him sort of go Oh, like everything's all right. Like yeah. we're able to have a bit of a joke, and Mark doesn't have banter with no. many people. Like <laughs> the, the previous people we've seen him with aren't like Sophie. He never had banter with. They never were pally and matey and and uh, and he's not really like that with anyone. Like, even Jez, like his closest friend. They but don't, Dobby they don't seems to set him off with that, which mm. is a nice thing to see. And they have this like, "You done me twelve sugars?" <laughs> yeah, and Mark's like, "I done you twelve sugars, love." Yeah, they are, they are having quite... Yeah, it's, it seems very genuine. Yeah. Even if it doesn't feel entirely natural for Mark, but clearly, like, she brings that side out of him a bit more because the, ultimately, they're, I mean, Dobby's a better fit to be a friend than Jeremy or yeah. Sophie or Johnson or anything like that. Well, that's so ultimately how they start. I mean, yeah. they don't really start like that because within the first 20 minutes of being introduced to Dobby, they're rubbing up against <laughs> each other in the cupboard. Very true, yeah. <laughs> um, but Mark realises, well, Dobby tells him that his computer's screwed, like the firmware's corrupted, and Mark's like, oh, God, like, I'm screwed. Like, I need to send off this CV to the loss adjusters. Um, what, what am I going to do? Um, and Dobby doesn't really come up with much of a solution, but says, you can come and get Jan's spare laptop. If you need, if you just need it to send off a CV, you yeah. can borrow this, borrow this laptop. So we've obviously presumably missed a bit of a conversation where they've talked about these history walks and what Dobby's doing now because she doesn't well she says that you can come along to my history walk place and borrow one and then that triggers her to be like hang on a minute like i don't know why she hasn't thought of that before she then says like hang on a minute you know history walks like that sounds perfect for you like what why don't you try and you know get a job there instead if you as you're still looking i love dobby's line just before that though where mark says like how's it going with the working on history walks and mark has been perving at dobby just before we yeah. see this. And Dobby comes and says, IT's IT, Mark. Doesn't matter where you are, you've still got... I'm still on my knees with dickwads perving at my ass." Um, and Mark says in his monologue, it's not perving, it's admiring or appreciating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many IT people you've ever had 
round to your house to do work or anything like that. But the people I've had to do work when I used to live at home with my parents, we used to have some like really fat, bald blokes come <laughs> round. <laughs> Certainly wasn't appreciating their bottoms. <laughs> Oh dear. Um, yeah, so she suggests you know you should you should t- do a um, try and get a job doing the history walk. So that would be perfect for you. Um, and Mark's a bit hesitant because he's like you know talking about history like that's not possible. I'd enjoy it. I actually enjoy working. That's not something that could realistically happen. I bet a psychiatrist or a psychologist, whichever it is, would have a field day on this episode if Mark was a real person. <laughs> like, the aspect at the beginning of the episode where he's talking about, like, I have a son and he'll turn out like me and no, he'll have to sing yeah. I'm a gay lord to the tune of <laughs> I'm a virgin and all this sort of stuff. And then this bit about being like, I can't do a job that I'd actually enjoy. That's just not how my life works. Mm. And then whatever Jeremy has said to him previously about being the evangelist of anxiety, like, there's a lot to unpick with Mark. Oh, he's been, like, just pre-programmed to assume the worst of the world and keep your expectations low, when actually it's almost... He's got he's got an in, he's got a passion for the subject. Like, this could actually... You know, it could absolutely be something that Mark gets involved with and yeah. then makes a career of. But um... Talking about history... It's not possible. I'd enjoy it. I'd, I'd actually enjoy working. That's not something that could realistically happen. You just don't want it to be something that could realistically happen. You don't want to be happy. It makes you worried because you think it'll end and you'll be more miserable. Pop psychology, but pretty much on the money. And she is just so lovely to him at this point. I think this is why it becomes more frustrating when Dobby sort of turns in the later series and we go off her a bit. Yeah, it just kind of falls apart a bit, doesn't it? Because she, yeah, she seems to do a bit of a U-turn on all the things that... Made her lovable. Yeah, well, well, made her lovable to Mark. And and Mark says what's lovable about her as she's walking out. So she's like, right, I'll get some tickets for us. We can go and watch them and you can see what you need to do. And then she does this really weird, like, bye, Mark. I don't know whether you made a note of that, but the way she <laughs> says it is really weird. And then Mark, as she's leaving the flat, just goes, good old Dobby, the anxious, self-hating man's crumpet. Probably best if I never, <laughs> ever call her that. <laughs> oh, God. Support for podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0, all across Europe. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code PEEP at manscaped.com. So, why do you need Manscaped's Lawnmower 4.0? Well, we've all got our own nightmare grooming stories about shaving our nether regions. Whether it's Nick's cuts and grazes or an unfortunate tale involving hair removal cream, it can seem like you're always a moment away from disaster. Not with the Lawnmower 4.0. After using it myself, it really does make a massive difference. It's quick, easy to use, and most importantly, I felt safe while using it. With the Lawnmower 4.0, Manscaped have engineered the ultimate groin trimmer, with their advanced skin safe technology making you confident to shave your boys. So, if you're like Mark and are worried about your testicles looking abnormal, the Lawnmower 4.0 can give you the confidence to do something about it and make your balls feel like a million dollars. So go on, start shaving your testicles like it's the most natural thing in the world, and get 20% off and free shipping with the code PEEP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PEEP 
unlock your confidence, and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Um, yep, yeah, so next we jump forward to Jeremy arriving back from Hastings, uh, back at Elena's, um, but Elena doesn't seem to really acknowledge his grand gesture at all initially. Um, because it, it turns out that her job is is at risk as she's been caught uh, downloading some naughty adult videos on her work computer, and I was just like, "Who does that?" Yeah, that is stupidity. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I've I've got exactly that. Like, is she actually that stupid? Sounds very much like something Jeremy would perhaps do, though. And also, without getting into the subject of porn. Why is she downloading stuff? Like these are back in the day. This isn't dial-up broadband days. Why is she not like accessing a website? Surely it's more risky to download the videos. I guess I don't know. So internet history is internet history, isn't it? Uh, but but downloads history is a lot harder to get rid of your downloads. Yeah, and, I guess. And history of your download. This isn't talking from personal experience. <laughs> but like, it's a lot harder to permanently delete files unless you know what you're doing. I guess. Then it is to remove your internet history. Mm. It just made me wonder, maybe they are soulmates, because I could very much see Jeremy doing that. Yeah, <laughs> Having, like, the, the stupidity to do something so, so reckless. But um, Jeremy is completely... Like, he's gone from being a bit annoyed about the fact that she is not showing any response to the fact he's been to Sussex to go and get some bread, <laughs> to... And the fact he's got, got, he's got truffle oil and all that sort of stuff. He has really gone to a bit of an effort for Yeah, he's pushed the boat out, definitely. Wine? Sure. I've been to fucking Hastings. In Kent. How was work? I'm going to lose my job and everything has turned to shit. The IT guy at work has found some bad stuff that I've been downloading on my hard drive. Bad stuff? Do you mean porn? Horny porno? Yeah. You watch porn at work? Now and then. I didn't tell you because I thought it might bother you. Of course it doesn't bother me. It's hot. Do you, you know, while you're watching? Masturbate. God, this is great. What am I going to do? They're going to sack me. Look, I'll think of a plan to sort this out. But first, let's get you some Impson's bread and odd oil. It's really sweet that you went to Hastings to get me some bread. You watch porno, you watch porno, that's the best thing in the world! And so Jeremy sort of says, like, don't worry, like, he'll sort something out, which we're not quite sure what that means, but he's he seems to be more than more than happy to help out a problem like this because he knows that... It's hot. Yeah, <laughs> you like porno, you like porno, that's the, the best, best thing, thing in the world. world. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, he, he's... He's going to set up a plan in motion, which leads us to the next scene, um, which implies perhaps he's not really thought too much about uh, what he's going to do, um, because he takes a trip to her office, um, and we're sort of wondering, like, hmm, what's he going to do? And we introduce the wank bullet. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think I saw it going in this direction. No, when he I don't sat think down. anyone did. <laughs> I don't think Jeremy really did. <laughs> no. <laughs> until he sits down. So yeah, Jeremy sat opposite him and he's kind of wondering whether this is a good idea, wondering like when Meatloaf sang, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Maybe this is what he meant. <laughs> um, and so he explains that it was actually he that downloaded the, the inappropriate material um, and Peter's kind of not really buying it initially, is he? It's kind of like, why would anyone do that? Well, I don't think he buys it even by the end. No, he, no, he definitely doesn't. Um, 
but it's it's more convenient to to believe him. Right? Yeah. So Jeremy's reasoning is basically is like I came to pick up Elena. I got bored, and whilst I was sitting there waiting to pick her up, I downloaded some porn on her computer. I'm not entirely sure I believe that happened, Mr. Osborne. Why would you do that here? Shit. Okay. Time to go nuclear. Look, Peter. The truth is, I'm a sex addict. I wank 10, maybe 12 times a day. 12 times? Yes, or more. It's a disease, a wanking disease. Or more for luck, I have a wanking disease. Surely somebody would have noticed a random bloke in the office wanking. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, this, is, this story is so paper thin and threadbare. Like, it's just that... It's a, it's a nothing story. And actually, Jeremy comes across as a bit stupid here because he genuinely thinks that Peter has bought his story. Oh, yeah. He walks out at the end and basically says, fantastic. Like, she's got away with it. He said, Yeah, he says that out loud. And yeah. Then, and then Peter's like, I'm sorry? <laughs> it's like, uh, he couldn't be quick enough to get out there. And then when he does go out there... He mimes to Elena. Oh, yeah, he does like a wanking gesture and then a bullet to the head (laughs) gesture. And then gives her the thumbs up and then realises that Peter can see him through the glass. It's like, shit, I better get out of here. And I don't really know what Peter's long-term gain is from this. He's implying that he fancies Elena, so he doesn't really want to sack her. I just got the impression that Elena must be quite good at her job and it would be unfortunate to have to sack her. Oh, I definitely got the... I definitely inferred that it was because he likes her. Oh, okay. Because he goes, I like her a lot. Oh. I've, I've always thought that. that he was doing it, which is why I've always wondered what his plan was. Because oh. you know that this guy is sleeping with her. So why are you trying to let this guy get away with saying he downloaded I the guess. porn? Playing the long game. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> don't really get that. But Jeremy seems to think that he's got away with it. And he says in his monologue, he's like, my genius plan's worked. I'm golden with Elena now. <laughs> I took a wank bullet for her. This day may become special. <laughs> we can have like an internet wank blame anniversary day. <laughs> 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 so we skip forward from Jeremy taking the wank bullet to Mark and Dobby watching. I can't remember what his name is. I don't know if we find out what his name is. Is it Michael? Um, Something I, like think, I think it is, yeah. Doing a... Um, a walk, a history walk, which seems to have fairly decent numbers. Seems to have a few people watching him. Yeah, well, I, you can. Yeah, we start through looking through the, the guide's eyes, and we can see this group of tourists, um, and most of them look pretty engaged. And then Mark's in the middle, and we can see sort of like his brow is furrowed, and he's got his arms crossed, just like looking at him, just like right, impress me almost. And he's critiquing him, and he's like. He thinks he's Dick Turpin. He's a high woman, all right, a high woman of history. <laughs> like because to Mark, history has to be history. Why would you want to? It's something that's very pure to Mark. Yeah, it? and I've had this conversation with people before. Like my dad and uh, my father-in-law are both very like fact is fact. Mm. Like why would you try and judge something up? <laughs> like this is what happened, and I went to go and see something called Shitface Shakespeare, which is like where people get drunk and act. They all learn the Shakespeare play. And then uh, one of them in the cast gets drunk and then has to... They do the play and basically just have to rely on the person who's drunk carrying it on as normal. But obviously they don't because they're really quite pissed. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and we went to watch Midsummer Night's Dream and both my dad and my father-in-law were like, why would you do that to Shakespeare? Like, that's sacrilege. <laughs> and I always think about that when Mark's doing this. Like, why would you 
Why yeah. would you want to zhuzh it up? Why would you, <laughs> I don't need a pipe. I don't need a, um, a hat and all of this sort of stuff. Um, but Mark is quite turned on by the fact that Dobby knows that Jack the Ripper was around in 1888. Yes, that's right. It's like, there are so few women these days that are Ripper literally. <laughs> Yes, and Dobby sort of comments that he's he's judging it up because he does quite the, he does finish the tour with a bit of a flourish, doesn't he? He sort of snaps a twig to replicate yeah. the snapping of necks and they're uh, lily white necks. Yeah, I think it's quite good. That didn't happen. He's playing fast and loose with the truth there. The only public executions during this period were at Tyburn and Newgate. He's judging it right up. He's judged Michael, making history fun. Why does everything have to be fun to be worthwhile? Crick and Watson have discovered the double helix. Did they do it on a skateboard? No. Well, fuck off then. I'm not interested. Mark's kind of got a point. Um, and so the, the, the tour wraps up and uh, they, they approach him to, to talk. And Mark's almost like interrogating him a bit, isn't he? He comes across kind of a dick. Hope you liked it, guys. Uh, I'm not entirely sure you were correct there about the hangings. Frankly, if there's a choice between the truth and the myth, I say print the myth. Print the legend. Exactly. It's only history. I, I assume you're an out-of-work actor, like, like they have at Hampton Court, an episode of The Bill, and then it's nine months as Sir Thomas More in a maze. I just think, ugh, Mark's so petty here. Like, I definitely got the sense this is coming from a, a place of, like, bitter jealousy, yeah. like, very much. So, like, why is this guy, like, he clearly thinks he could yeah. do a better job, um, and who's this guy playing like fast and loose with history you're making money from making history fun not making history intellectual yeah. which is what it should be um and michael says no it's, this is my living like do two tours and he says two tours a day how is he making a living off that he yeah, must have a bit yeah. of money otherwise <laughs> but two tours a day the rest of my time is my own this morning I went to the national portrait gallery big lunch and then a snooze now I'm off for a pint. <laughs> yeah, I do like... This guy has every right to tell Mark to fuck off yeah. with the way he's behaving. I mean, I guess you wouldn't really do that for a customer, but he has a right to have a bit of a front up, but he's just like, no, you know what? Sort of just kill him with... Um, not, not kindness as such, which is like, no, actually, my life is fucking amazing and I'm about to tell you why. Yeah. And it kind of... Um, it totally disarms Mark, doesn't it? <laughs> he's just like, oh... Hmm, this sounds perfect. Yeah, and he's like, museum, lunch and a snooze, the big three. That <laughs> yeah. sounds perfect. Um, and immediately turns to Dobby and is like, can you get me in? Yes. And Dobby says, yeah, I can. Jan will like you. You've got tidy hair. <laughs> yeah. And Mark, in his monologue as this scene ends, just goes, great. 30 years of not following fashion has finally paid off. <laughs> <laughs> so we are back in the flat and Mark and Jez are there, just the two of them. Yeah, Mark, I presume this is a few days later because Mark's sort of preparing for his yeah. work, isn't he? He's got the laptop from Jan. Yeah, and he's doing some research and he's chosen mercantile history, which I find is not really sure. I'm sure there is part of it that's interesting, but I feel like um, maybe could have picked a more exciting topic. I can't imagine anyone going for a history walk for mercantile history. No, because you want to get the tourists, don't you? So yeah. they're going to go on ripper walks. Exactly. Like when I went to Edinburgh, they did loads of like ghost walks because Edinburgh's really famous for being haunted. Yeah. And I don't know where they are in London in this bit, like when he's doing these walks. And I don't know my geography of London well enough to know how close, because he talks about Whitechapel is almost yeah. fully ripper walks, but I don't know geographically how close Croydon is to Whitechapel. No, I mean, Mark could have travelled, doesn't he? But then later in Mark's walk, he does then, sort of perhaps on a bit more of an improv than anything, does then t almost turn it into a ripper walk. Well, he turns it into a Sherlock Holmes type thing, doesn't he? Yeah, that's he right. He goes like, 
something's afoot. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I found it a bit of an odd, odd topic. I can't really imagine many people. I mean, I'm I'm interested in history, but you wouldn't find. I wouldn't me go to signing. a mercantile history yeah, tour. <laughs> I feel like really you want to hit hit a strong. And also, mercantile history, you would imagine. I don't know. I can't imagine that being. It's not going to get the tourists no. in, like like you say, like the the people that do these tours are going to be tourists. That's literally the point. Yeah. And who's going to be like, oh yeah, this? I think Mark's like this synagogue was converted from a shoe factory or something. It's like who cares? And asks what the type of industries are. <laughs> yeah, like come on, who's gonna who's gonna want that? I mean, maybe there's a, I'm sure there isn't. There's an there's an audience for people listening to this podcast, and there's probably an audience for mercantile history. But it did strike me as a little bit odd. So, like you said, we skip forward probably a few days, and Mark says, "I'm researching for my history walk, a mercantile history of the East End," and it is quite nice. He does seem genuinely excited. Yeah, he is. He does seem really into it, but he's worried at the same time that Sophie perhaps could be, you know, she's like the last blocker now. Cause I think he's realised that to himself that he could do this. This is a very viable option, but can he get past Sophie, who originally wanted to put his happiness sort of very much second? Yeah, and I can understand it to a certain extent, but Mark has gone from being, I'm worried, I can't do something that I might enjoy, to I'm genuinely excited, I might do a job that I actually get some joy out of. <laughs> and Mark says, right... Sophie will want me to take the loss adjuster's job so I can pay for her to give birth on a trampoline made of marshmallows and a reconstruction of Greenham Common. And Jeremy is now, like, so obsessed and in love with Elena that he's basically like, don't worry, man, like, chill out, like, have a hippie vibe. Like, this is your dream. We're both living the dream. I'm in love with Elena. You're in love with the pastos. <laughs> yeah, the, the pastos. Uh, the people from the past. The olden days. <laughs> and this is where Jeremy says, I'm off downstairs to... Get the Ocado shop for Elena. Yeah, he kind of reveals that he's sort of become her errand boy. <laughs> yeah, and like I said at the beginning of the episode, he will do anything he can. He just thinks if he grinds her down for long enough, she will just keep him. Yeah, exactly. So he keeps going with this. And Mark sees right through it and says, you don't think you feel like you're being slightly exploited? Mm, yeah, because Jeremy explains that um, that he took the wank bullet. Yeah, and... <laughs> and Mark is genuinely like, did you not feel at all? And obviously I don't think from Mark's reaction, that's not the first time he's been told that he's done that. He certainly doesn't... It's almost like he's going, oh yeah, that was really stupid, wasn't it? What you did? <laughs> yeah. It's not the first time that he's been told. He said, yeah, did you not feel at all embarrassed telling a total stranger that you're some kind of extremist masturbator? <laughs> <laughs> and Mark... Mark's completely right. Like, everyone else would have a complete issue with that. And Jeremy's like... Well, I did feel a bit humiliated and awful, mm-hmm. but it's all worth it for Elena. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that he's like, I saw the porn she was watching, and man, she's got great taste. Yeah, I suppose like anything that Elena does is she's just being built up to be this, the the one, I guess. Like she can't do anything wrong at all, can she? No. And so we we jump forward um, to the the same cafe that Sophie and Mark were at the, the start of the episode, um, yep. and they're, they're continuing making their plans uh, for the baby, um, but it turns out that, thankfully, Sophie does want Mark to be happy, and she actively encourages him, you know, forget about the loss adjusters, go for that history walk job. And her logic behind it is quite sound. I don't want you to resent our child, and when our child looks at you, I want them to see a happy, contented role model. Not some grey-faced, dull-eyed drone who's hated his job and his life for years. Mustering dad. <laughs> <laughs> I think, and I'm going to have to shout this out, like I will message Simon Blackwell and just comment on this, like, 
his internal monologue drops in this episode are phenomenal. Yeah, they really, really are. And it's they're very... He's very just, like, quick and sharp with yeah. them, isn't it? They just drop in, you know, they're very short sentences and they're very off the cuff, like, in the middle of dialogue. Yeah. But I think that it works so well because these are the things, you know, the thoughts that do suddenly pop into your head while someone's chatting away. Yeah, and I think... Obviously, Sophie says, like, go ahead with the walks. If that's what you want to do, if that's what makes you happy, do it. And it's one of those things where Mark has obviously been waiting for something to go wrong and is waiting for somebody to say, you can't do it. Yeah, he's looking for every reason. And I do get that to a certain extent. And I've had experiences where I'm waiting. Like, during lockdown, I got a tattoo. And I really wanted it, but I was quite apprehensive about getting it. And I just kept asking my wife, I was like, do you mind me getting one? Do you mind me getting one? Do you mind me getting one? Almost to the point where she was like, if you're trying to use this as a reason for not doing it, then I'm not going to tell you you're, you're not get, you not to get <laughs> one. So if you're not going to get one, it's off your own back, not off mine. Yeah. And that's kind of similar to with Mark, where he's like, oh shit, the one obstacle I had has said it's yeah. fine. Yeah, the only obstacle now is yeah himself. Yeah, there's nothing to stop me going through with it. And then says, maybe it's better if it just stays off as like, in my head, maybe it just stays as a nice idea, like the private finance initiative. Which yeah. We don't know anything about. I'd love to love to no. know a little bit about that. <laughs> Are there any deleted scenes from this episode? Um, no, I don't think so. I, I, have, I didn't check before this one, but I did check series six. And I think I think it was only um, in the, the two episodes we've previously covered right, that there okay. are deleted scenes. But I did want to point out, of course, we do get this fantastic mention of Mark's dad. And I did wonder whether perhaps they were, you know, we're not that far. It's the end, towards the end of next series, isn't it? And we're getting mention of him again. So we're, I wondered if it was a sort of subtle reminder that this dad was this quite interesting character um, and whether they were sort of teasing him, knowing that they were going to introduce him next series. Yeah, I think we've slowly, since series two near enough, built up this impression of Mark's dad. Yeah, exactly. It's been such. It's a long time coming, and he's only it? in one flipping episode. Yeah, but by God, it's a good one. I can't. Oh yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> um, so we we go uh, back to the flat, um, and it's I'm guessing the the morning of the day he's going to do his walk. Um, Mark's kind of bricking it as he knows that his dream is within reach, and Dobby's sort of saying, like I said before, you know, you, you're only scared of failure. That you know, you get your hopes up and they'll get dashed. So um, yeah. that definitely seems to be the case. Um, and Dobby and Jeremy probably, you know, knowing how Mark is, sort of trying to encourage him to zhuzh it up, to be a bit more of a, a crowd please. I imagine they heard that he was doing mercantile history and were like, oh, oh you definitely yeah. need some help. <laughs> um, and Jess sort of says, like, why don't you do it as Sherlock Holmes? Um, you could say elementary a lot. And um, I feel like in this scene, like, anyone, like... Uh, Perhaps more British people would, would uh, be more familiar, but with um, QI, that yeah. show, I feel like Mark is just playing like the Stephen Fry, where he's picking holes in all these like Jeremy's Alan and... Davis. And yeah, then... like all the things that people think they know, Mark is just like dashing immediately. You need a bit of George though, not sell out, just maybe a costume or something. What about doing it as Sherlock Holmes? Well, Holmes is certainly the governor, but. I don't think I really want a costume. You could say elementary a lot. Yeah, he, he never really said that. Yes, he did. Everyone knows that. It's elementary. Shut up. You could just have the pipe. 
Yes, it should of course be a black clay pipe rather than the mythical meerschaum. Yeah, but you'd look wrong without a proper Sherlock Holmes pipe. An incorrect Sherlock Holmes pipe. And Dobby just shuts it down and she's like, Mark, are you actually Sherlock Holmes? <laughs> Does this really matter that it is the precise thing? And there is an element where you're like, if you're going to do it, do it properly. But it's a petty little walk around London. It's not like he's not performing it at the Royal Albert Hall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, but but Mark's sort of trying to you know restate his his USP, which like, is nothing. Mm. His USP is it's just history. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Just st- like no frills, no wigs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, telling it how it was. Um, so I just thought like your USP is to be more boring. Then um, uh, Dobby goes to leave, takes the laptop with her. Yes, which causes Mark to panic when he's sort of. Not sure if he's wiped his internet history um, after taking the recommendation. It wasn't from... a recommendation. <laughs> I'm not time out. <laughs> um, and so Mark immediately, in his panic, goes to Jeremy, knowing that as someone who has recently taken a wank bullet, maybe he'd be willing to take another oh, one. There are many things I would ask for a favour from you. <laughs> I would never say, can you pretend that the porn on my laptop was yours? No, I don't think, yeah. I mean, I'd probably do it for you if you asked me. <laughs> like reluctantly um, so yeah he goes to, to Jeremy Dobby's taking back her boss's laptop and I don't think I cleaned off the that porn you recommended always wipe Mark discharge your pipe then have a wipe that's the rhyme a- anyway I, I was wondering if, if you could say if Dobby does find it that it was you who was looking at the porn no oh come on Jez I just want you to take a wank bullet for me. I don't want to take another wank bullet. What am I, some kind of wank shield? Oh, right. I see. So you'll take a wank bullet for Elena, but you won't for me. Ten minutes with her is worth more than ten years with me. So we jump forward uh, and to Mark actually giving the walk, or rather just before he's about to give the walk, um, and he's with Dobby, and uh, she hands him as a sort of a backup prop um, a Sherlock Holmes pipe, an incorrect Sherlock Holmes pipe. Um, but Mark thinks, oh, shit, I better own up about the internet history. Um, but it turns out that Dobby's already got ahead of it and uh, she found it herself. Jazz movies. <laughs> yeah, she comes out with a great line. Look, you're a man. Men like to look at troubling images of heroin addicts showing their genitals for money. That's hardwired, like spatial awareness. I mean, it is disgusting and shameful, but, you know, so's the textile industry. Right. Thanks. God, you're great. I would definitely go to Hastings to get bread for you. Fuck, I'd even pop over to Ostend for waffles. So, yeah, after we we learn that Dobby's sort of taking care of the problem, we skip forward into the walk um, and we can see that Mark's his group isn't very large, is it? And it turns out he's already lost some people midway through. Yeah, he said three have wandered off. <laughs> I don't think they went for the Huguenots. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so we can see a little bit of him in action and kind of as expected, it's kind of boring. <laughs> Yeah, and like you said at the beginning, it's mercantile history. It's not exactly going to be. It just—it's not really going to capture people's imagination. Like the the Jack the Ripper stuff is just so, you know, it's a bit creepy. You can sort of like you're walking the streets of where he operated. And true crime is fascinating. Yeah. People love that sort of stuff. Yeah, like the the 
biggest podcasts out there, like the true crime yeah. stuff is huge. I don't, can't imagine the uh, the mercantile history <laughs> podcast scene is particularly booming. And does anyone know what the trades were that the Dutch Jews were mainly involved in? Uh, diamond cutting or something. It was the diamond and diamond cutting and cigar industry. That's it. Leading yeah. one contemporary joker to <laughs> Oh my god, we're never gonna know the punchline to <laughs> that joke. No. It's like the opposite of the um what did you call it? Oh the orphan punchline. Yes. Yeah. I love those. Um shout out if anyone can tell us what the actual joke was that came with that. Can, <laughs> I'll send you some I'll send you a free poster. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, but it's at that point that we are interrupted and we get that cameo from former producer Robert Popper. Yeah, and I don't think I'd really realised, even when we spoke to Robert, that he wasn't... I thought that he was the producer of the episode and he just decided to put himself into it. I hadn't really, com- like, realised no. in my head that he wasn't the producer on this episode. No, because he did three and four, didn't he? Yeah. So this, now we're in six. Like, it's been quite just a while. randomly come back. Yeah, they've just... Maybe he just, yeah, was in in the area or something and he's clearly good mates with them but we, we spoke to Robert about his little cameo yeah. wasn't he and he kind of was just like I don't know why I did it in yeah. the <laughs> but it he's very funny and he on is. the IMDB page he's cast as like annoying guy <laughs> um, on the script he's just known as tourist um, but he's basically trying to find out a bit of information about something a bit more interesting he's like where did Jack the Ripper kill his first victim and Mark's like, oh, God, well, um, this is, uh, like, he tries to keep it going. And he's like, is it near here that he killed him? <laughs> and Mark just continues to keep going until it just breaks him. And he's like, yes, it was, just round there, just outside Jessup's, the camera shop. <laughs> You'd think they'd put up a picture, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, oh, yeah, we should point out that because uh, Annoying Man, a.k.a. Robert Popper, is, uh, he's... Um, he's not actually part of the tour. No, he just walked up behind. Down. He's like got a rucksack on, hasn't he? And he's yeah. just appeared in the background. And I like that Mark's like, oh God, a heckler. <laughs> yeah, and Mark turns to the guy and goes, right, you're stealing a walk. Everybody, this guy is stealing a walk. Yeah, it's just such a bad look for Mark. It's like, like, like alienate the party someone. in the next series, or might be the end of this series, where those guys turn up at the party and they're crashes. Yeah. And he's like, uh, we're putting a... Uh, Everyone stop. Can I have your attention, please? These are party crushers. <laughs> we are putting a uh, a barrier around them. Uh, what is it? A cordon san- san- sanitaire, if you will, or whatever it is. I don't know the French. Um, and Robert Popper's character just says, not p- worth paying for anyway, mate. You're shit. <laughs> <laughs> and walks up. And at that moment, we can see Jan just immediately go to start scribbling on her pad. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's not... going from bad to worse. Yeah. Um, and But Mark realises where he's going to have to go to try and save it. And in his monologue, he's like, sorry, historical rigour. Sorry, pastos. I'm going to have to... Yeah, because Dobby sort of gestures like... Get the pipe, the pipe Yeah, like, <laughs> you need your, like, your life vest. <laughs> and Mark comes out and just says... Even though our friend there was in many ways a thief, he has brought me on to the next stage of the tour. Because, yes, ladies and gentlemen, the game's afoot. Saucy Jack is on the loose. His victims lie strewn all over Whitechapel. We must track this villain. But how? Well, that's... elementary. (laughs) I've sold out. A little bit of me has died. But you know what? A lot of me doesn't give a shit. Which kind of sums Mark up. We've seen so many times where he's sold out his beliefs or opinions on things to get what he wants. Like, And you're right. You know, he openly admits it. He doesn't care. 
Like, yeah. As long as he gets what he wants, which is he gets so close right now, um, as we see, you know, uh, Jan feedback, and she's quite right to be. She puts it quite nicely to like a little bit dry at first, <laughs> um, but we really got going as it went on. Like the moment you sold out, it really got better. Yeah, because she says. Uh, it was a wee bit dry. It was a wee yeah. bit like dusty bin. And I had <laughs> yeah. to Google that reference. Oh, I didn't a... realise it was a reference. It's from a TV show. So dusty bin was in, I think it was called like 321 or something, like a TV game show. Oh. And dusty bin was like the booby prize. Oh, I just thought it was just dusty bin was just like, it was basically a bit shit. <laughs> she was just being nice about it. Yeah, no, I think that's oh, like, okay. it's a bit, I don't know what the reference is to that being dry or calling his is his tore the booby prize it's quite harsh yeah. um, but he says in his monologue he goes I don't like you Jan yeah and then the moment she says oh but at the end you really impress me it's like good old lovely Jan yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's so fickle so he's won her over and she's like we'll be in touch about doing some more tours but I do need to just talk to you about this file that was left on the computer yes now Mark knows that it's not the porn, because he basically knows that Dobby's cleared it. But there's a bit in his mind where he's thinking... Yeah, I think, oh, like, has it still potentially been Is it still there? Found? Is it left in temporary files or something? Um, and then Mark's a bit more relieved when Jan says, yeah, I had a look at it, and it was an application form for a loss adjuster's job. And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 that's fine. You can get rid of that. I'd absolutely be av- uh, available mm-hmm. for it. That was just a, uh, insurance if you'll pardon the pun. <laughs> yeah, actually a pretty great pun. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we see, and I was, I always, you don't see Jeremy, and then all of a sudden he's there. Like, I noticed this, and it was a note I made, and again, it's just me I living with relen- and I was a you always, you don't see Jeremy. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Keep that bit in. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't see Jeremy. Like, uh, you're looking down the yeah, alleyway, I, and then he suddenly appears next to Dobby. You don't see him walk up the alleyway. The alleyway's really bloody long. Oh, I, I don't know what. In my head, I thought I remembered him approaching Dobby. Maybe you see him approaching, but you don't see him coming from a distance. No, he just, yeah, he's, he's halfway down the alleyway. Uh, yeah, I suppose, yeah. Um, so he comes in, he's like, I feel a bit bad about not coming. And then Elena's told me that I should come. And he's like, because... I've just been so obsessed with Elena since I started dating her and Elena this, Elena that, Elena, Elena, Elena. Anyway, Elena told me that I should <laughs> I love that. Um, and so Dobby says, oh, he's talking to Jan at the moment, but everything's fine. Like, it was shit, then shitter. And then, but then good. Then good. <laughs> I love such an honest assessment. Um, and so Jeremy overhears the conversation that Mark's having and he hears Jan just saying, so I'm all right to delete those things off the laptop then. Yeah. And Mark... You can see Mark's face as Jeremy approaches being like, oh, shit. (laughs) So I can delete that file on the laptop then? Yes, please. File. Ah. That wasn't actually Mark's fault, that file. No, no, Jeremy, you, you don't need to do this, really. The porn on your computer, Jan. The hardcore pornographic sex film on your laptop. That was me. I'm fundamentally a sex addict. I wank... 10, maybe 12 times a day. It's a disease, a wanking disease. I done the downloading and then I done a wank. I'm, I'm so sorry, Jan. This won't be a problem, will it? Um, I, I'll uh, give you a ring, Mark. Superb. That's the single nicest thing Jeremy has ever done for me and it's completely ruined my life. 
you lovely shithead. <laughs> <laughs> now, those are the endings I really like. So we talked last week about how you really liked the Mark screaming at Jess, like, shove that up your bollocks. But this, this for me, like, these are the, the, the best endings. Yeah. I, lo- I really love this ending, the way it, Jeremy finally is doing things that aren't incredibly selfish. And, and it's screwed course, over Mark royally. Yeah, the only time. And it, and it all ends in failure, which obviously pretty much always does in Peep Show. But I think we can... I think we were fairly safe to assume that Mark... Sorry, did you ever think that the, the walk job would work out? I suppose I didn't only because I know Peep Show. It's glorious failure. Like, nothing ever succeeds in what they're meant to be doing. He yeah. never gets a job that quite works out. They're never in a relationship where they're both truly happy for a longer term. You always know something's going to happen to screw yeah, it up. Yeah, it's the like just the DNA of the show, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. I mean, that's part of it. Um, yeah. So, no, I don't think I ever thought that his no, was going to yeah, work out. So. Okay, right. Uh, that brings us to the end of the episode, isn't it, then? And a jolly good episode it was, too. Fancy a punt on the quizzy? Shit a bit of data out of that bunged-up brain box. I'll do the buttons, do the answers. Okay, it is quiz time now then. So, I've, I don't know, I've gone with another bumper quiz. It worked Um, quite well. Yeah, there was just quite a lot that stood out to me in this episode. Um, So, let's get started then. Um, So, when he's panicking about the baby being a boy just like him, what references does Mark make to him being bullied? at school he says about that him having to sing I'm a gay lord to the tune of I'm a virgin yeah that's is that the, the only la- oh that's God. the last one then he mentions two other things something about PE and I can't think what it is yeah is the- it having to do PE in his pants uh, it's the, the PE hell and then there's one other thing being called bacon shoulders I don't yeah. know <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is a good one that we learned from the other episode uh, it's uh, the stolen pack lunch oh that's so obvious that's such yeah. a generic thing <laughs> uh, number two uh, how much does Sophie say it will cost to go private for the birth six thousand pounds very good uh, what new careers um, is Mark considering to take think about switching career plans. oh he wants to teach english a foreign language or import pecorino very good um when sophie recommends the job uh, at a loss adjusters did you pay attention to learn which loss adjusters oh, she mentions God, the company no. ws william and son <laughs> that could very well be real uh no it's farrell's um of course it is farrell's the loss adjusters yeah no i yeah. remember that as soon as you said it Jeremy tells Mark that everything's a substitute for being in love, but can you name the three things that he mentions? Running. No. The Olympics. Running in the Olympics. Reading. And... Oh, my God. Reading, running in the Olympics, and... After eight minutes. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's getting a job as a doctor. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay, next. Uh, Where does Mark suggest Jeremy's one true soulmate could be living? In a village in Mozambique. Very good. Uh, Where does Elena's favourite bread come from? So we know it's in Hastings. Oh, Impsons. Very good. Um, Elena says that it's complicated and that she's complicated. Like a Rubik's Cube. Very good. 
Um, which country is uh, which country? Which county is Hastings in? Sussex. Correct. And finally, quite a hard one to to end on. Uh, I thought, seeing as you studied history at university, I thought I might test you, see if you were paying attention to the walk. Uh, where were the only public executions during the period of the... Uh, I literally, it was Newgate and Tyburn. Correct. Very, very good. Thought I would test you there. Um, so, very good. Yeah, pretty good score there, actually. One, two, three, four, five... I got a lot of six, half points. Seven... Seven proper answers, and then a few where you got, yeah, they were maybe multi-part, and you got, like, half of them or so. So I would say that's a strong performance. And that concludes us for episode three of series six. So thank you, everyone, for joining us as always. Uh, And if you've enjoyed the show, please take a moment, leave us a review wherever you're listening, iTunes or... um, Do they do ratings on Spotify? I don't think... I don't use Spotify, so... They have charts on Spotify. Wherever, if you can hit a like button or something, please do so, as it really does help us out. Um, It helps the show um, reach a wider audience. And I've started picking up more of the reviews, because I think a lot of the reviews we see on iTunes are from, like, UK listeners. Yeah, the iTunes charts are all separate. Yeah. So you have to fiddle around to find, like, the American ones. So we've actually discovered quite a lot of your reviews... Yeah. Quite recently from people all over the world. Yes, definitely. Which has been really good. Yeah, so thank you very much. We do we love to, to, to hear um if you're enjoying it or not. Maybe maybe let's enjoy it if it's not. Um but yeah, do leave us any feedback, um, which also brings us to how you can get in touch. Yeah, so if you want to find us on Facebook, you can check us out just by searching for Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs on Facebook. On Twitter, you can find us by searching at Podcast Pharaohs. On Instagram, we are at Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs. I added that S because it was at Podcast Secrets of the Pharaoh, I think, before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on TikTok, we are at Peep Show Podcast, pumping out those viral videos. Some great content there. I'm very impressed by what you're coming up with. And if you want to just stick with the old fashioned email, we are Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs at gmail.com lovely job okay so join us next week then for episode four of series six which is called the affair and we are reunited with alan johnson for the first time since jlb collapsed yeah and, uh, the collapse of jlb hasn't been particularly kind to him we we find out no he's in his recession residence yeah so we're gonna in a very see... fetching purple jumper <laughs> yeah so yeah i'm looking forward to being reunited with johnson and catching up with him um and yeah i think that about wraps it up anything else from you uh yeah so just again wanted to do a shout out to our patrons i won't list all 21 of you again it will take me five minutes to sell your names um tom will leave a description in the bio just to give you a link but if you want to join us it's patreon.com forward slash podcast pharaohs and as we get closer to that david mitchell episode it might be worth <laughs> getting the early content before the rest of the uh, rest of the listeners if that's something you're interested in but yeah uh really enjoyed this one can't wait to get recording again cool okay there we have it then that wraps things up so thank you very much for listening as always and thank you for joining me rob discharge your pipe then have a wipe <laughs> <laughs>